AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, hello. Today we're going to meet Brendan. He is from the Rainham Group in, I think it's London, England. Must be right there or thereabouts. That's correct, yeah. I met him at the online uh, secular AA conference that we had on December 5th of this year. And uh, we were doing a live stream just the other day, Angela and I, and we had nothing to talk about. So I asked him to appear and we had our time confused. So Instead, he is here with me today, and I'm really happy to have him. Welcome to AA Beyond Belief, Brendan. It's nice to have you here. John, thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for asking me. So how did you like that God, that um, the God Word uh, presentation that you all gave at the, at the um, conference? Do you think that went pretty well? Yeah, we were hoping it would. I've I seen it as just kind of a little start to, to a lot of conversations that uh, secular AA all of us need to be having together. So I found it useful from that point of view, and in the sense that it's not something that was always uppermost in my own mind. So it kind of formulated some ideas in my own head, which, as I said, kicking off uh, at, the, at the conference was a good idea. You know? So, uh, yeah, let's hope we can move forward with some of those things that we brought up. Yeah, I was, um, I was working behind the scenes, so I wasn't really able to pay attention to the panel Today I got the audio ready to post on the AA website, the secular AA website. So that's up there, up there now, and I look forward to listening to it. But as I as I was um, editing the audio, it was really interesting I, when I was going through the audience participation part, some of the comments that they made. So um, for those that are listening to this podcast, you can go to the secular AA website. And by the time you listen to this, it should be at secularaa.org, um, but you can also find it at aasecular.org. <laughs> And you can listen to that. So, Brendan, um, what I'd like to do, if you know, if um, if you're game, um, I would like to learn about you through your story and let a conversation flow from there. How's that sound? Great. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, no problem. I promise not to make anything up. And I might heckle <laughs> you as you go along. Heckling's <laughs> fine. That's good. Yeah, that's 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 no problem. Yeah. Um, okay. Well. Um, Okay, well, I'll just kick off. Obviously, I, I live in the UK in, in London. I've been here for just over 34 years. But as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm not originally from, from London or the UK. Uh, I, I was born in a, a lovely little village in the northwest of Ireland. Um, I am the baby, the youngest of a very large family. My, my parents had 12, and I'm the youngest. So, yeah, I guess that's what they would have would have said was a good Catholic family, but... I just I choose to say that my, my parents were Catholic. But um, so the odd thing is people always assume that, you know, it was bedlam in my home. But a lot of my family had left by the time I, I actually came along. It wasn't unusual for people um, back in Ireland that time at the ages of 16, 17, as some of my siblings did, did left, left Ireland and came to places like London. To, to work so it wasn't a crazy household it was it was uh, it was a gentle it was a, a, my, my best recollection because sometimes what I remember today might not be exactly the same way as I might remember yesterday or yesterday but my best recollection is that in 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 most part it was a reasonably normal upbringing with a couple of little bumps along the way but um yeah it's um the strange thing is, uh, being being from Ireland and the Northwest, as as you probably know, and we all hear that the the Irish love to drink and all the rest of it. That that might be the case, but I don't particularly like the stereotype of that. But my family, it was a taboo thing. It was a very taboo thing. We didn't have drinks on the table, particularly around this time of the year, Christmas coming up, and that we didn't do that. There was no bottles of wine. So it wasn't spoken about or anything, but I, I knew growing up as a child from what i seen uh, of what alcohol did to people. I was quite adamant that I didn't want to drink. Um, I was clear I would never drink. I never smoked and I never drank growing up. And I still haven't started smoking, but obviously being here with you this evening, <laughs> it's obviously I picked up a drink, you know. And um, yeah, my, my, my dad, uh, he, was, he, was a, uh, he, he was a drinker. 
and uh, he, he would have been, say, 52 years of age when I was born, and, and uh, he had stopped for many years. I hadn't known this as a child growing up, but then when I was maybe around nine, nine, ten years of age, he started to drink again, so he was just coming up on 60, 61, and he passed away when I was only 14, but I didn't like what drink did to him. I didn't like what alcohol did to him. He wasn't a nasty person. In fact, he was quite mellow, but I knew that from a physical, even physical point of view, um, it wasn't good. And like I said, again, it was a taboo subject. It wasn't talked about. But I know my mum was, at the time, I was too young to articulate it. And it wasn't spoken about. But I knew that she didn't like to see him going out drinking because he did drink to excess. You know, he's, he's dead many years now, so I can't tell his story. But um, I just did not like alcohol and what it did to people. And, and, and again, with other members of my family as well. So it was a shock, really. It was a shock. That's one of the words I use. But I actually picked up a drink. It was on a school trip, my first trip away from Ireland to Amsterdam with all my with all my peers. And we started drinking. And that was it. I was away. And that was it. Then uh, once I started. And I don't know if I ever explained this very well, but to me it was as if I was keeping my drinking secret, <laughs> which is impossible. Because when I drank, I drank to excess. And when you do that, you get drunk and things happen. But it was almost like I wanted it a secret. And I wanted everyone to play the secret with me. I understand. You know, my I, friend, I, I was that you know. way as well. I understand completely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and so, so yeah. I mean, there was things. Things happen, don't they? Things happen. Not a lot of good things, and certainly when you when you get to AA first. Um, or my recollection is, I I, uh, I remembered all the bad parts. You know, there certainly wasn't there certainly wasn't any good parts to keep me drinking anyway. But um, and I did geographicals at a young age. In fact, I had a reasonably good job in Ireland. Um, and at the age of 22, I said I would take a career break. That time in the late 80s, it was the norm for people in, in civil service jobs and, or government jobs, you know, my common mistakes, and um, for people to take career breaks and, and go back. But really, nobody did take the career breaks to go back to work. Everyone knew that you were going to go on to something else. So I did that. But I really what it was was I was doing a geographical and running away. And I left Ireland in 87 to go on a world, a world tour, believe it or not. I was going to travel the world. And that was 1987. This is 2020, and I'm still in London. <laughs> so the tour, the tour, the tour continues. Um, but it was, I had to get away. It was a relief to get away, but nothing stopped. Nothing stopped in terms of the drinking. I just went from one chaotic situation to another. And, um, it, it, yeah, and I mean, the, most of the chaos as well, like, don't know if I hear it. Obviously, you hear it in the rooms, and, and we talk about things again that happened, incidences, and, and um, the problems we have around our own behaviour and conduct with others, the remorse, and all of those things which affect all of us. But for me, the chaos was just as great in my own mind as well. You know, the 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 um, yeah, the the, the the I don't want to use the word pain because it sounds a little bit too dramatic. But waking up day on day realizing that you're just not happy with being alive and a lot of guilt around that as well feeling guilty um because of course you know you've got people in your life who care for you you know coming from a big family having friends all of that stuff so it makes it made me feel guilty um that i was feeling these things um and i i wasn't even able again to to recognize that guilt for what it was i had to get sober and get a little bit better to realise that that's a lot of the struggle that I have as well. You know, not really wanting to be taking part in the world for whatever reasons. And and then knowing that there were people who didn't mind the fact that I was alive and kicking in, in the world. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard place to be, you know, for any human being, you know. And, uh, and for an alcoholic like myself who had no coping skills, I hadn't learned any coping skills uh, for life because I'd started drinking early. Um, it makes it a little bit more difficult, I think. It does. Yeah, I started early too. It's interesting that you grew up with a, an alcoholic father and did not like drinking. And uh, I, I, this is this is a story that's somewhat common. You know, some I guess there are some that will not touch it. You know, as they become adults, but then others will. The gene just kicks in. You know. Yeah, I think um, I like the. Uh, I heard, I read it once in a book. I think it was a book that suggested that uh, Keen Henry was, uh, and a couple of the other Keens were in this country were alcoholic. But it was uh, the guy that wrote the book. I can't remember. It's many years ago. He said that 
were born with this inherited vulnerability to alcoholism. And I, and I think that's definitely, yeah, yeah, predisposed to it. Um, and even in my own family as well, there are siblings that didn't take a drink. But by their own, now years on, they'd say that if they had, they feel that maybe the touch paper would have been lit as well, you know, from their own behaviours. But, uh, yeah, crazy stuff, really. So was there any one uh, event, or was it a series of things that happened that resulted in you officially uh, finally uh, reaching out for help? I guess, I, I guess um, I was quite fortunate. I still worked for the same company that I began working for in London in 1987. And at the time, I was in a role uh, that was what they call safety critical. Um, so it was getting to a point where they were saying that we would have unannounced uh, alcohol and drug testing and things like that. So I guess in the back of my mind, that was there. But additionally, I guess as well with my drinking, uh, a relationship had come to an end and I was living on my own. And the drinking, oddly enough, began to taper off Um and because I would work around the clock, you know, shift work within the 24-hour period of the day, um, my drinking tapered off. It wasn't an everyday drinking in the end, but it was heavy binges. And then the fallout from the heavy binges was really bad each time. And I find myself a lot of the time finding that the drinking just wasn't working anymore. It really wasn't working. And I had um, my last drink was on the 31st of May, '93. And it was, uh, we call them bank holidays. I, I think you might call them national holidays in, in, in North America. But, yeah, I went on a binge. And uh, I, I, I took some pills. And, uh, excuse me, I take some water. Thank you. Good job. Brought some water and tea. Good. But, Good um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was a heavy binge and I took the pills. I really genuinely don't know how many of these pills I had taken. But it was the first time that I had uh, done something like that. And I was really, really <clears throat> an empty vessel at that stage. Was it a suicide attempt, Brendan? So I, I, I think I had little more serious ones when I was eight, 18, 19 years of age. I think I had more serious ones. I certainly hadn't. It wasn't premeditated in any sense of the word. Um, I was just quite surprised to notice that there was a lot of open pills uh, on the floor and um, half a bottle of vodka. So I think the vodka, if I'm honest, knocked me out. So yeah, um, you know, I, I say that I, I had a uh, I have a really frightening memory of um, uh, from my drinking uh, that involves uh, you know I could I, I could possibly not be here, and so whenever I hear somebody talk about a suicide attempt, it's like well, I just here's what happened. So my mother committed suicide, and that was something that got my that kind of propelled my drinking. Okay, I've. Um, not that I didn't already have a problem, but it really kind of, it really kind of boosted things for me. But during that time after her death, I was drinking, I was drunk one night and this is really a bizarre memory, but I, and I don't know what went on, but I just went to my father's room and I pulled the gun out of the drawer by his bed and I put it in my head and pulled the trigger and the safety was on and it didn't go off. And I tried again and it didn't go off and I just put it down and walked away. But the most bizarre thing about that memory is when I was doing that, there was no thought. It was just like I was walking from one room to the next. My life had become so shallow and meaningless and hopeless that I didn't care. And so being in that place, but that didn't stop me from drinking. I I think what, I was doing with my drinking is I was numbing that pain. It was my medicine and it just didn't work very well <laughs> as you know. But um, so yeah, when you, when you told, I'm sorry, but when you told that story, it kind of reminded me of that day and it's just, and I, I know that, that feeling. And I think that um, I think it's pretty common for a lot of us to have that and to use alcohol as a way to not have to feel that kind of pain. Yeah, exactly. I think, although in terms of getting to the fellowship, I think that that moment, that particular evening, that on the thirty first of May, ninety three, uh, as I said, I was so drunk. I don't know whether it, 
how serious an attempt. Fortunately, it wasn't. If I had, if I'd been um, at any mo- if I had any lucidity within within the evening to have taken enough pills, I might not be here. Um, there were pr- previous times when I was eighteen, nineteen years of age where I, I actually um, tried to. I, I, I'd taken a blade to my wrists. And it's silly. I don't mean to joke about it, but I, I also I always joke about disposable razor blades that it's just as well they don't they don't shave very well, right. they don't cut right. wrists very well either. <laughs> but I know from from I do know when I look back, I'm thinking, gosh, I was a 19 year old kid and I was doing this to myself. I was away from home. I was working in the city. And wow, what a call, what a what a cry for help that is for anyone, you know. And I'm able today to look back, you know. You know, and and say, wow, that that kid needs looking after. He did. You know, who deserves? Nobody deserves that. You know. Yeah, that's that's a nice perspective to have, isn't it? To be able to look back on you at that younger age with some compassion. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 I do that. I'll be honest. I do that more now than than even I did when I got sober first. I mean, I was excited to get sober because of what I knew. One thing I should say as well: happily, there were people in my family who were sober thanks to AA that I knew. Um, and the odd thing was I used it as an excuse that AA wasn't for me because I wasn't as good as one of them oh, really? and I wasn't as bad as the other one. Now, what a, <laughs> ga- what a game to play, to put yourself where you don't feel you're even good enough to be an alcoholic. Not even good enough for AA. <laughs> that, not even, exactly. I was measuring, the on the spectrum, I was measuring my, my extremes against others. There I am with a, a completely unmanageable life, sad, lonely, full of fear, not able to cope with life. And yet I'm, I'm comparing our, myself to people who seem to be getting it together and thinking, well, they deserve it. I'm happy for them. So, but I, I'm, I'm not there, not because I'm not bad enough, but it's because I'm not worthy to be a, 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 an alcoholic. <laughs> Which, you know, it's, it's, um, it just goes to show the power of, of, of the illness, really. Um, and it, it reminded me as well that when I when I did uh, finally throw the towel in, I went sick uh, after that last drink from work for a few days. And fortunately, there had begun this situation at work. It happens a lot in industry now where they, they take you in and they ask you why you were off sick, if they can help you. It's, it's part of good business practice, but it's, it's part of, you know, people taking care of people's well-being as well. And I said to my boss, well, I wasn't sick, actually. I, I was drinking too much. I was so shocked. I had intervened in my own drinking without any knowledge or notion that that's what I couldn't believe what I had said. I absolutely, I was, I shocked myself and I began to shake a little more. He was a lovely guy, this boss. He, <laughs> he was a beautiful old guy that was ready to retire and all this thing was new to him. So he, I'm shaking from my last drink and he's shaking because he's a little bit nervous. He hasn't come across this before, but it was, I'll, I'll always remember it. I will always remember it. And from there I got counseling through work and, um, yeah, that was great. The counselor said to me in my second session, yeah, you're an alcoholic. You need to go to AA. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I did because it, it was such a relief. Um, I, I, the way I've been describing it re- more recently, even than at the time, like when I get into a, a, a jet to go away somewhere on a holiday, which we don't do much of at the moment, I, I'm going to assume that the, the captain and his first officer are completely trained. And that's why... Luckily, I was teachable and I was childlike when I got sober because to be told by somebody who, who was a counsellor, a trained counsellor, a psychotherapist, that you're an alcoholic, that was good enough for me. Once this guy said to me, you're an alcoholic, I was so happy. You know, I know we say that we have to accept it and acknowledge it ourselves. I knew that I had a problem with alcohol. The extent of it, I was in denial about because I didn't understand it. But to have this guy tell me, you're an alcoholic. Uh, it, it was it was it was a relief. It would have helped me too, actually, to have like a, a professional person say that because I was um, I was uh, twenty. I was just turning twenty six uh, when I went to my first AA meeting, and I first considered going to AA when I was nineteen. So it got me pretty young in life. And the one thing that kept me from getting help is I always assumed I was too young to be an alcoholic. And to, up to the point of my first AA meeting, I still believed that. 
And what saved me was I saw that third tradition on the wall, that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. My life was so messed up, I knew I had to stop drinking. Not that I really wanted to, but I knew I had to. So I said, I belong here. And, and I, put, I put aside the whole question about the label, you know, and that saved my life. If I would have just assumed, oh, I'm too young, I never would have stuck with it. That's the thing, yeah. I I think possibly because I came from such a big family, um, uh, even I I was 27, but I felt like I was 127. Me too, yeah, I hear you. I never felt young when I was in my 20s. (laughs) I never (laughs) did. I mean, I drank with guys who, who had sons and daughters my age. And 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 uh, it's it's a crazy thing because sometimes on a Saturday night, especially in the pubs here in London, uh, the pub that I go to, I would speak to them and talk to them like as if I was their age, and they'd say that their son or their daughter or whoever was going out to a nightclub, and I'd say, "Oh, it's good. That's nice for those. That's nice for those guys that they're doing that." I was I was twenty three, twenty four, <laughs> talking like that. So age never came into it. it. To be honest, I could have come in at I could have come in at nineteen or twenty. You know, uh, I think. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, it was a relief to get to the rooms, and I loved AA. But, yeah, I was wondering about that. What your first impressions were? I loved it. It was everything that the councillor said to me. Uh, my first meeting was on the twenty second of July, ninety three, Saint Vitus in in Saint near Saint Paul's Cathedral in London, and uh, yeah, it was lovely. I met some lovely people, and again, you know how often we say, "Oh, you, you don't have to be down and out." You know, you don't have to be get to a certain level, certain bottom to be an alcoholic. And that I knew. But what what in, in, in fairness now, looking back, I was this was a city meeting because where I lived was close to the city at the time. But there were people there who were running businesses, CEOs of companies. In fact, my first sponsor worked for a very big American firm. And it's not that I planned it that way. But it really it really was fantastic to hear these people who look so smart. And they spoke so well and they were talking about being full of fear and about things that happened in, in, in their drinking careers. And I was thinking, yeah, that was me. That's the way I was feeling. And the stories helped because it was fantastic to hear these people and see where they'd got. So they helped as well. Them little stories. Them exactly. And, uh, that, that's what, that's what <laughs> gives you the hope is that, you know, I, I, the, from that first meeting yeah. is when I got that hope because I had the same experience. I was downtown Kansas City, Missouri. This is the 1980s. So people used to dress up for work. And uh, so people were looking quite prosperous and well. And they were, they were telling me these stories where they were right where I was. They, they had the same, they had similar experiences, if not the same experiences and the same feelings and the same type of drinking. And it was just hearing those stories and seeing them now and them telling those stories as if it was something that happened in the past and even little tinges of humor as they went around the room. It gave me hope immediately. I thought, good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think what helped it, it was it was great. I think what helped was there was a six week period between my first counselling session and my first meeting. So I was I, I guess I was um, physically a little bit more dried out. I was beginning to I began to eat better. The counselling in itself was a great start to a new beginning for me. So I was ready for my first meeting, and it was great. And I can remember the, the chap doing the chair. The one thing I picked from it was um, he was taking driving lessons, and I had never had a driving. I, I didn't have a car. I didn't. I never learned to drive. So I was thinking, oh, this, this guy is learning to drive. I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know. So there was there was them little nuggets of hope, if you like, about the little things. You know, which which. It's something I try to do a lot now, you know, with newcomers and that. I say to them, okay, take it nice and easy and start to do some enjoyable things. You know, set up a reward system for yourself. Just little things. Um, it's not, it, you know, don't be putting yourself into a, in, into a corner about things that are suggested to you. Take, give yourself some time and some space. So, you know, a lot of my family, were they're very interested in drama and things like that. So I, I never went to theatres in London or any of those things. I started to do those things straight away. I started taking my driving lessons, as I said. And it almost took a back seat that I had I had a sponsor, this sponsor, but I, I, I approached the steps initially in a very mechanical way. You know, the sponsor said do this and I did it, you know. <laughs> and so I was happy. I really was a twenty eight year old kid, if you like, properly and enjoying it. 
So yeah, doing the steps and what he suggested was not a problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of did that. It wasn't a problem for me. And what was what was your belief system going into this? And did any of the God stuff bother you at all at that time? The I can remember saying something to the counselor. What exactly it was, I don't know. And what he said back to me, I really don't know either. I can't remember. But it wasn't, obviously what he said was enough to make me feel comfortable going to the rooms. I did think AA was, was religious. You did. I, I know that. You I had did. That. You I did that. think it from, from a kid, being a kid. I was quite certain it was. Then I had admitted to work that I had a problem. The counselor, and as I said, once the counselor said go to AA, I didn't have an issue. It was getting well. That, that's really what I was focused on. But almost just over three months, I'm going to guess around three months into it, I spoke to somebody and um, I said to them, you know, I'm really enjoying AA, but I don't believe in God. So, you know, you know, I haven't for a long, long time. In fact, I don't think I ever did. You know, I believed in God the same as I believed in Santa Claus. It never, nothing grew from there. So this person, again, somebody, that they, 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 they were a psychotherapist. And I wasn't going for psychotherapy. They were in my family, believe it or not. So I was lucky. I got a free, I got a freebie. <laughs> and they said to me, look, just take the collective wisdom of AA as your higher power. And I thought that sounded lovely, the collective wisdom. And, I, and, and that was it. That was it. I was really up and running then. Because, again, here was somebody who I, I locked up to, somebody I respected, somebody who was in recovery themselves as well. And they said, just use the collective wisdom. And that was it. That was okay. That was enough for me then. So everything that it suggested in the big book at that time to say, you know, power, power of, your, you know, of your own conception, that was good enough for me. Uh, and I took it from there. And I think it's remarkable because when you look at the big book or when you read the big book now, I think to myself, wow, I really just wanted to be sober. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I I really never want to be controversial. I only ever want to get people to to come to AA and to get well and be, take care of themselves. But I really wouldn't, I would not hand the big book to a newcomer now. I wouldn't either. I I wouldn't either. And you know what's funny too, um, or interesting rather, is when I started coming in 1988, that book was already 50 years old. And the first time I got it, I was a little disappointed because it was so damn old, right? It was 50 years old. It's 80 years old now. And it's almost ridiculous to give that to somebody who's in their 20s and 30s. It's like, it would be like giving me a book at that time that was like almost 100 years old. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. And I was reading something just the other day as well, where um, it was, it was, uh, it was written, I think, by Thomas C. I think Tom or Thomas, and it was in 2016, they wrote on AA Agnostica. And they talked about if Bill W was around now, you know, he would be and I've, I had thought of this myself. He would be like, "Really? You haven't, you haven't grasped what science is offering, and 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 right across the board, and and put it into a big book. That you know, it's 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 very very sad. And I think in Europe, maybe certainly the United Kingdom and, and Ireland. Um, when I read the big book for the first time in '93. And being that it was written in America, I thought that that kind of English, although it did still <laughs> seem quite old, but it, it, it thought, well, that's American. That's you know, how Americans talk. <laughs> that's maybe, maybe, maybe that's, you know, and, and yet we're reading books. We're reading the books that, that you guys produce and everyone else. But it was kind of so we were given we were given license thinking that's it. But I think more moreover, though, um, I was just happy to be sober. And I was on, I was just, I was like a kitty in a, in a candy store. Me too. I, I was able to disregard any of my doubts and any of my, my misgivings about any of the, the literature and stuff. And I was able to kind of, kind of interpret it my own way and everything. But what was really happening to me was the people around me and the friends that I were making was what was really changing my life and transforming me, I think. Not to, not to dismiss the steps because I thought the steps were helpful too. But but it was that connection that I had with those people in the rooms that that kept me coming back. Uh, absolutely, and that's why that's why I use that uh, analogy like baby. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But the baby to me is one on one with another alcoholic. Any two or three, as it said itself, maybe book two or three alcoholics gathered together can solve themselves in a meeting or a group. 
uh, and that's so important, you know. Um, and, and yes, of course, the book is is so vital. It's it's really important that the book can be looked back in time as as the if you like the epoch of the growth of AA. But that's where it needs to be. It needs to be set in its time. I agree. I agree. Um, and I I'm not one of those who say that we we should change it. I think it'd be good, great to write on something new. But leave that as it was. And there's good stuff in it. And, you know, I was um, uh, actually on our live stream yesterday. I was, Angela and I were talking about the fourth step and the way it's laid out in the big book for me was really helpful. And I thought that was pretty brilliant. And I was wondering who came up with that little thing that, you know, and uh, one of the people in the room, Bob Kay, who's an historian, says he just thinks that Bill made it up. He just came up with it himself. But it's really kind of a brilliant way of dissecting dissecting those resentments and to understand why what was causing me to react the way i was yeah yeah i don't know either i often meant to investigate i I often wondered if richard peabody had come up with something like that because it might have been something you know i think maybe because he of course was at the same because he wrote this book um in 1930 when he was still in boston um so that kind of formulaic approach that's right. He's got a lot of stuff from Peabody, didn't he, from that book? I've never read that. Did you ever read that book? I, yeah, I, I actually only very recently. And actually, it's lovely. The language in the first 10, 15 pages lends itself to, and to think that it was written in 1930. I got to read Then that. you really see, you really see the, the, how strong the religiosity is in AA's big book. Because Peabody's book could have been written certainly them first 10, 15 pages in the 1970s, 80s, now even. It's the language is, the language really lends itself to seeing alcoholism for what it is. Yeah, I forgot that he, that Bill W. read that book and was influenced by it heavily because, of course, he doesn't really acknowledge that in in the big book or anything. <laughs> no, he wasn't ever going to acknowledge it. <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite rogue, Bill W. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the more I learn about Bill the more I like him because I'm thinking, how did this, this, how did this perfectly imperfect human being get to do the great things that he did? And he's quite rightly given as much adulation for getting AA to where, you know, getting it started, given his own, given his own human weaknesses, you know? So I think that's fantastic as well, you know, but maybe I I might be wrong about Peabody, but I, I just thought recently, maybe that's really, Yep, yep. I think that you might very well be right. I'm gonna, and I'm, go, I'm definitely gonna read that. Um, I, for, I have totally forgot about that book, but yeah, and you know, it was actually John Stewart, an, an, another person from England, who uh, talked about that book. Actually, informed me about that book for the first time, like five years ago. And here I am. I still haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Ernie Kurtz mentioned it in his book about um, why AA actually. Um, Got got off to such a good start, and where Peabody's book kind of took a back seat. And there is, it's it's set in the context of the time and the historical what was happening in in the United States at the time as well. It can be more; it's more easily understood uh, from that perspective. It's an interesting history for those who like history, I, and I do. I think it's an interesting history. Is it? It definitely is. Yeah, it really, really is. Because uh, certain things that I took as definite and set in stone about AA and how certain things happen, then you find out the real reason. You think, wow, that's you know, some of it is very much set in coincidence, and some of it is completely taken from 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 other from other areas of of, of health and well being suggestions. You know, so it's very good. So, how did you get involved with um, going to secular AA meetings? Well, quite honestly, my it was only COVID. It was it was COVID, and and yeah, believe it or not, it's it's recent in that sense. It certainly is. Certainly, my thinking around it wasn't. <laughs> Big, but I had for a couple of years, I had um, sort of danced with the notion of getting a secular meeting going in the area because there was absolutely none. Um, so that was one of the first things that I did around. We had our first secular meeting, myself and another chap, Roger, uh, another member here. We got a meeting going on. The, and our first meeting was on the 9th, 9th of May this year. Uh, and I had gone on Zoom to two or three secular meetings in London. And then of course I had been to other secular meetings around the world thanks to Zoom. But my my approach to everything was very much free thinking. 
even if I hadn't been using the the language, the free thinking and all that, it very it very much was. You know, I, I, in the end, certainly the, the the that what was suggested to me within a few months, you know, the collective wisdom of the rooms. I will admit, I always wanted to build on that. What I was going to build on, I don't know. So, for example, things like prayer and meditation. I, I remember my second sponsor saying to me, prayer can be anything you want it to be. Think about it more as action. You know, you helping somebody across the road. So I borrowed that. That made sense. Okay, I'll borrow that. And and meditation, because, you know, meditation made sense. Lots and lots of people were doing meditation, and it didn't have the same affiliation with, say, religion as it may have had, or even when I was younger. So prayer and meditation was never much of an issue. But I, I, I used to think, well, prayer is, is about how I handle myself around other people in an action way, which was quite it, that's not what prayer is really but that's what I borrowed and then meditation is what it says on the tin you know to a great extent so I didn't have much so but um, I became more interested in why anybody would believe in the divine or the supernatural so I started to have a look at that before I declared myself an atheist which is what I am so I spent a lot of time reading and I became really sort of Gosh, how can anybody believe this stuff? I mean, when I was a child, I, they used to tell me, you know, Father Christmas is coming. And then you get told at six or seven that he, Father Christmas doesn't, he's not real. And you think, well, I knew that really. <laughs> I knew that, you know. Um, but, you know, that's another thing without going off on a tangent here. You know, people talk about things that are innate in human beings. I think that, that children are innate and that they have that innate notion that there is no God. I think yeah. we get it fed into us. I, I totally agree. I <laughs> you know, agree. I think it's fed in. I agree. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I read, I became a great fan of Christopher Hitchens, Dawkins, all of them, and I read everything. And um, I remember about 12 years ago, because people didn't say they were atheists um, uh, in meetings around here if they were, uh, and I remember saying it. But I said it in a very gentle fashion. It was a newcomers meeting in London, where I live. And I'd never remembered ever being cross-shared before in a room. And this chap who was around a couple of years came in and I think he wanted to fire a missile at me. And he said, well, if he says, I've, you know, if you pick up the big book, he said, um, the word God is mentioned in there 200 and whatever number of times, he said. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. <laughs> OK. And there was a lot of nodding and, and in the room and and. So and I, and I thought to myself, I, I it, this is true. I just by coincidence, within the second thought, well, I've just finished re reading the God delusion, and the word God's in that quite a number yeah. of times. <laughs> so where do we go? Right. You know, where do, I didn't say anything. So in a, in a sense, there was a little bit of anger and frustration on my part, but I knew I was I knew I was right to out myself, if you like, and be be you know we say to thine own self be true. You know, I've had a, I've had experiences like that here in Kansas City, and Kansas City, of course, isn't as big as London, but it's a metropolitan area, and um, so it's it's a little it's a bit more liberal than the rest of the state of Missouri, and so people are a little bit more tolerant. But when you come into AA, um, the people that I'd see in these rooms, I don't think that they were particularly religious, but they were religious about AA. And it was like what that gentleman said to you, it was, it was in the big book and that's what was important. It wasn't that it was in the Bible. It was in the big book, you know, and you got to do things the way it, it says here. And I think that's what, what I got. I mean, there were people that went to church and so forth that were in the meetings that I went to, but I don't think that they, that they made religion such an important thing in their life that they thought it was important to press upon others to have, to share their beliefs. But when it came to AA, they did. I I think, yeah, and I that's something, it's a good point. That's something I've thought about a lot. Um, I think once you get to AA and you know you're an alcoholic and you accept it, and then you are told you've got your acceptance and to keep what you what you accept, you've got to have a power greater than yourself. And people, whether they really do or whether they fake it, they think, I must hold on to this now because if I let go of this, I might drink again. So there's a there's a sense that maybe these people aren't religious at all. Maybe maybe culturally they just go to church and then they come to AA and they've got a real reason for coming to AA. 
they don't want to wake up and get ill again in the morning and, and be sick and be rude to their friends and family. So they want to hang on to that. So I, I applaud that. But what's what's terrible, I think, is that they now have this and there's a kind of a suggestion from, from people who have a free-thinking approach that you don't need this divine, this supernatural thing. And they get they feel threatened. It's almost as if you could force them into a kind of a cognitive dissonance around what they believe, which they never believed in the first instance. Right. So interesting because the United Kingdom, I understand, is a pretty secular country. And like a lot of the churches have been like turned into condominiums and so forth. Is that right? <laughs> so, so it's not, it's not like it's a country full of religious people yet. I bet when you go into AA meeting, it kind of gets that way. And exactly. You've just said it. And that's what it is. You see, you get people who, whose parents have never uh, been churchgoers and they come to AA and they, they've maybe been to rehab They've got some semblance of normality back in their lives. Maybe their family life has got a little bit better. So they've come to our fellowship and they they get a sense of, of, of belonging. But along with that sense of belonging, there's the kind of, well, this is this is what you have to do. So they think, well, if I have to do this, then I'll have to do it. And going back to what I said earlier, it's kind of like we then come along maybe a second and say, well, actually, you don't really need to think that there's a guy in the sky that's, that's you know, you don't need that. You don't need the, the magic beans. So we're scaring them into thinking, well, what is it then that keeps us sober? They don't have, for want of a better word, faith in their own in, in their own ability to stay well through through just the meetings and the uh, say a, a, a practical 12 step program. You know, and I think more people walk these steps in a practical way than they do. There's this, you know, um, the pluralistic ignorance that goes on in society is in the rooms as well. Nobody wants to say it. <laughs> you know, I think I maybe I, you know, these are only my my views. It's it's like the people that say I have a concept of God that's personal to me. I mean, I, exactly. <laughs> it's a good way you know that's actually a nice way of saying yeah. so it's none of your business leave me alone <laughs> yeah. it, 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 you know there you go i i, I checked that box yeah. go go don't, on <laughs> don't don't take this from me please please don't right. take my blanket right. please right. don't take right. my blanket because that's what's keeping me well yeah, and, and it actually it, it, blankets, it makes yeah. it brings you into the fold of the group too because you know that that's what I noticed when I look back at me at that time is I was really conforming to the norms of the group because that that way I knew I was going to be safe. You know, I don't know, I wasn't really thinking about this in the frontal lobes like it was in my consciousness, but that's what in fact I was doing. And you know, it helped me help me survive. So you started a you started a um meeting on Zoom. When we start actually seeing each other in person again, do you plan on making this a um, in-person meeting, or are you going to keep it online, or what do you think? We have we have people coming in from different parts of Europe, all around the British Isles, including Ireland, and of course North America as well. So we have, if you like, it's a it's a nice problem to have. <laughs> So we spoke about it yesterday, uh, myself and Roger and a couple of the other members that attend, and we're thinking at the moment, very loosely, that maybe we'd continue on Zoom and have a physical meeting at a different time. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, I think this is so interesting that this pandemic has really changed Alcoholics Anonymous. They're now, I don't think that we had that many online meetings prior to this. Now they've just all over the place, secular and otherwise. And they're going to they're gonna stay they're going to continue. They're not going away. And groups like yours have started up and they're not really bound by any geographical boundary, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me personally, I, I think it's such a, it's, it's, it's fantastic. If we were to think about what we might do, say many years ago, if, when, before all of this, before the technology, it would have been, it would have been magical thinking that we would have had this kind of these platforms to do this. Having said that, I, I think as well, though, there is for the newcomer, uh, I'm watching what's happening. We're not getting as many newcomers as we had maybe around June, July. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on that. You know, I hope the groups are as well. 
that there is still the need, I think, for the, for the physical meetings as well, right across the spectrum as to what we have to offer. Yeah, COVID has been bad for, um, oh, COVID has been bad for addiction. I mean, the problem with alcoholism and drug addiction has exploded because of COVID. So people are, are quietly in their homes drinking. Some of them are making it to meetings. Um, I hope that when this thing ends that we'll see an influx of people, you know, and maybe that warmth that you and I both felt at our first meetings will just be even amplified as people come out of isolation, not just isolation from alcoholism, but isolation from COVID COVID has been isolating, you know? Yeah, definitely. Very much so. And, and, and I think, I think as for, for all of us that, that are in the rooms and, 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 got on to Zoom and, and what other other platforms, although Zoom I know is the dominant one. I think we're fortunate in that sense. Um, and when we do get back to the physical rooms, I think that maybe the newcomers will feel it more. They'll they'll, they'll get that fuller sense of, of one alcoholic being available to the other alcoholic. And that's why we're here. Physically, this is why I'm here, because I can't pick up a drink, irrespective of our backgrounds or what we do or don't do for our to make a living. Well, you know, we have a little of a case study in Australia because they pretty much eliminated COVID. I think maybe it's coming back now. I don't know, but they pretty much had it eliminated. And so, but during that time when they were, um, when they were um, isolating, they started these online meetings and they had people from around the world come, people enjoyed the meetings. And then as, as COVID wasn't even an issue there in Australia, they kept those meetings. You know, I don't know what's going on over there right now. If they are, if if the if it's come back to them like it is the rest of the world or not, but they actually had a period of they they actually pretty much dealt with it, which amazes me as an American where it's just you know it's crazy here. <laughs> well, I, I think you guys had a helping hand. I won't get political. I know, political, I know. But you had a helping hand. We did, we did. It's crazy, you know. We actually, the leadership of our country was actually against. The, <laughs> So anyway. why do you want to be well? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, well, I think there's so many great uh, friendships built up as well. Um, and certainly for, for uh, secular AA as well, um, which is one of the points I made at the ICSA as well, was that um, I'd like to see us physically have a, have a convention, a conference as well in, in the British Isles. I would have too. our first one. I would you know, too. I really, Maybe we I can do that important. after, because I think they're going to have a physical conference in DC in 2021. Maybe we can do that in England in 2000, whenever they're going to do it, 2022, 2023. I don't know if they're, how they're going to, if they're still staggering or not. I would love to do that. My wife and I were wanting to go to England actually in 2019, I think. And that didn't, that fell through. And of course we couldn't do anything in 2020. So it's on our, it's on our list of things that we want to do. And no, definitely yes yeah so i think i, I think it would be great mm, i really think so good. too i think yeah. so too yeah it's not that difficult to get over there besides it doesn't matter because there's a lot of people over there already <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah they said yeah. the same thing about canada they said that um when we had it in canada that um it wouldn't be a very big conference because americans don't have passports which is really true a lot of americans don't um, and it was a smaller conference, but it didn't matter because there were still plenty of people in Canada, you know, and there were enough Americans that would go up there anyway. So, oh gosh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I don't think there would be a problem getting mm-hmm. people to it. Yeah, I think it yeah, would be really, from all really over interesting. Europe come over, yeah, and I, and I think maybe as well in, when, for conventions um, here in, in the UK and on, and on mainland Europe as well, the English speaking ones, that um, it would be nice to see those uh, organizers sort of get a little bit more enthusiastic about having meetings, secular or free thinker meetings um, as well, because that's, that's the way forward, you know, but I'd like to think that in 10 or 15 years time, if I said, I'm going to a, uh, an AA convention, that it would be a convention that was, uh, I didn't have to say, Oh, this is a free thinkers convention or it's, it's traditional that it's a convention and, and I can choose then to go to whatever meeting I want. If it's, if it's a meeting that will have no prayers, and lends itself to that. That's the one I'll be going to, um, you know. 
It maybe maybe it's again maybe I'm being a little bit naive. It's but, happening uh, a little bit in North America. There, some of the bigger conferences would have um, panels of agnostics and atheists and so forth. It's becoming more common. It's really becoming much more accepted in AA here, probably everywhere now. But um, I, I I think so. I, I think so as well. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to think so. It's just that, um, yeah. Sir, the literature, <laughs> the literature that's, that's has the, changed. A bit of a hangout. We get, we go back to that as well, and then think, well, yeah. what, what do we do? Yeah. And so, do you know that your that the London people are going are going to be hosting the next online ICSA? ICSA? Yes, I think uh, Cyril had uh, mentioned something about it. That um, I think Joe C had approached him about about doing it. So that's going to be very exciting. Yeah. You know, is that going to be in June? I can't remember. When is it? Is it going to be sooner than that? I think it's sooner. Okay. I'm going to okay. say sooner. Maybe I'm, about three I, months or so. Yeah, I think it's I okay. think it's going to be sooner. Uh, and I, I think on December 19th, they have a little uh, wrap-up session, haven't they? Um, Josie mentioned about having a, a chat so about So I'm really excited about that. I um, When we went into this, for, this online exit that we just had last week, I said to myself, this is it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done with this. I don't want to get involved in stuff, but now I'm actually excited about it. As soon as we finished that conference, I loved the experience because it was meeting people, making new friends. It just, it was just fun. And, you know, so I enjoyed it. So I'm actually looking forward to this next one too. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think probably, I don't know, you'll know you, it's your body. I think sometimes the, the, the strain of it as well just makes you tired, doesn't it? The physical and the, and the, and the mental strain of it, because you want things to be okay. You think, wow, that's oh, over. That was, an all day shut deal. The door on that. that was an all day deal. I did not eat from the time it started to the time it ended. And I was totally kind of stressed because we had problems and technical issues and I was trying to manage it, but you know what? It was, it was still fun. I enjoyed it. So. Oh, it was, it was fun. Yeah, no, it really was. I mean, you, you guys did a huge, huge uh, piece of work on that. That's fantastic. Really. I think that, uh, yeah, honestly, I've been, I've, I've been to some physical conventions that didn't have as much organizing <laughs> into it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. No, that, that is, you really do need to know what you're doing to get the platforms up and running. That was fantastic. And yeah, we learned a lot from that experience exciting. that the next one will go a lot smoother, I think. Oh yeah, definitely will. Yeah. And it'll just build, it'll be built on from there on in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation, Brendan. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. It's been just wonderful. This is, um, this podcast has transformed my whole recovery. You know, this is my, this has become my home group. This is what, this is, this is what, what I do. These podcasts talking to you is my meeting for the day, you know? So thank you for keeping me sober for another day. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute, it's been fantastic. A real privilege having listened to all the podcasts for so many months. And and before we got our meeting going here in London, I was listening to your podcast. So to, to see you in person and I've seen you at X a couple of weeks ago was a, it was a real, it was a real good, uh, it was one of the highlights for me. It really was. So thank you so much. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for everything you do. You're fantastic. Oh, you are too. So that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it through this episode, thank you double. <laughs> so if you would like to help support our website and podcast, there's a couple ways you can do that. Oh, three ways, actually, now. But you can uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash Belief. We're starting to actually give things to our patrons like extras that perks. So you can consider doing that or just donate by going to our website, aabeyondbelief.org or PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. We would appreciate it. And it's not necessary though. Thank you very much.